This is the podcast that flips the health and wellness industries upside down so you can be your healthiest inside and out. I'm your host, Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist and supplement strategist. Today's episode is the supplement quality standard, the thing I love to talk about the most, supplement quality. And in my holistic standard, this episode will be the supplement quality standard, one of the main components of that holistic standard. So again, my goal in my professional life is to simplify the science of true holistic care. So well-meaning people such as yourselves can make the best healthcare decisions. And holistic care is a big topic. So to simplify things, you kind of have to seemingly make it more complex, right? So the holistic standard is my method, my methodology, my methodology, if I'm into Mr. Method Man, my methodology for simplifying all of it. And so the wellness pyramid was the model for holistic care. The supplement quality standard is the expert's way to choose supplements that work for your wellness, your wallet, and the world. And all that information is great, but how do you actually implement something? One, two, three, vitality helps you do that. It's a system for making change that lasts. So that's what the whole thing is together. Just to kind of recap today, I'm going to formally speak to supplement quality, introduce my model so you can turn it into your system. And I would say that we need these frameworks because otherwise we just fall victim to that hype and propaganda and misinformation that I'm always railing against. They are too good at saying all of that stuff and they've been spouting it for far too long and we so want it to be true. It's just too powerful of a force. So you need a system in place to help you manage it and deal with it as it comes at you. So today is a special guest episode. Coming from his home, using what seems to be technology from 1973, is Mark Ullman. Mark is a supplement lawyer. Oh my God, how boring. <laughs> yeah, I'm the kind of guy that finds lawyers interesting. Well, at least Mark is. Uh, his expertise is super relevant and very enlightening to the conversation around supplement quality. So he's here to help us with the conversation then. Visit wellnessupsidedown.com for all things podcast related. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and even over on YouTube. Give us a five-star review as often as you can each and every episode because I think it's worth it. I do a pre-show affirmation just to kind of loop you in if you haven't been here before. So if you are tuning in for the first time, I'm not a fan of the supplement deceptive practices. I love supplements when they're done right. Uh, but the health and wellness industries do a lot to make us buy stuff that we really don't need and really won't help us. So if I'm ranting, it's because I'm beating up on that system uh, not because you've tried something. I'm not beating up on you or raging against you. I'm raging against that big old machine. So it's that misinformation and hype I was just mentioning that is the problem for me. So anyway, to the topic. Today's show is the supplement quality standard, right? And it is so simple to put our head in the sand when it comes to supplement quality. And it's even easier to just give up. I can't easily trust any of these products anymore, so I want nothing to do with them. And what I'm here to tell you today is to push through. So I can simplify complex concepts, but I'm never going to promise easy. Anything worth doing requires effort, especially around your health. And the work to get strategic with quality supplements is so worth it, and it will pay off for you. So today we're going to talk about three different things. One. The three types of dietary supplements, the meaty truth here, and I, I apologize in advance to all vegans for my analogy that I'm about to use. <laughs> 
And then we're going to do the interview with Mark Ullman. And finally, we're going to take it home with the supplement quality standard. So let's get started with the three types of dietary supplements. So what do we think about when we think about how supplements are made? Well, if you're like me, you're thinking about hipsters. <laughs> the bearded dudes, right, with a high and tight haircut, probably wearing plaid. He's rocking a smock. You can tell that his mustache is like a source of pride for him, right? And it's about like one little curl away from making him a mixologist at some upscale cocktail bar. So that guy, I imagine him taking the freshest looking herbs that he picks from his garden and he cares about the garden almost as much as he cares about his facial hair grooming. And you can't even raise your voice near the plants. And if you even say the P word pesticide within earshot, uh, you're banned from the house and he has to uproot the plants and take them to therapy. Right. And he then takes those plants out of the ground gently and gracefully at the perfect time. And he manually grinds them in his own little mortar and pestle one at a time with love and care. And then it makes you the most most beautiful, healthiest looking supplements you could ever imagine. These things are capsules, sure, but they're shades of green and brown and even yellow. Bob Ross would use these to paint his pictures. That's what I think of when I think of the supplement industry. Not really. No, of course not. But we have this weird perception about the the industry and how things are made. And when we hear small supplement company, we think of something similar to that, like artisanal supplements almost, right? So like it's not real. And in, in reality, supplement ingredients uh, come in tubs. They come in big, bright blue, often tubs of uh, chemicals. And they have you know a label slapped across the front with all sorts of chemical sounding names and the hazardous material designation thing. So it looks like you might as well be making bleach <laughs> is what it really looks like. And, you know, we often villainize the harsh pharmaceutical industry, but this is what the stuff looks like. That's what you get. And inside aren't plants often. Inside are powders. And those powders, you know, it might be uh, a yellow, off yellow, orangish powder for like turmeric, for example. Um, but you don't even know if it's really turmeric at this point because it's just a yellow powder in a drum. Could be anything. And that is the scary part. The supplement industry isn't this small artisanal, like, you know, mixologist guy working in his own garden. It's a billion dollar industry, you know, north of $50 billion at this point. And there is an overwhelming number of options. 1994, when, you know, the Deshea Act, the, the regulations around supplements was kind of created, we had 600 different companies making 4,000 products. And now we have over 6,000 companies making over 75,000 products. That's a exponential growth if I've ever seen one. And these raw materials are coming from questionable sources in unregulated countries. So we can point to China and India, and I don't have a thing against China and India, just that it's often too far for the FDA to go to, to double check, to make sure that everything's being done correctly. And the regulations, it's the landscape that allows for this variation in product quality, and it allows for dangerous products to get into the mix. I often say that it's not big pharma versus supplements. They're the same thing. Supplement industry is big pharma. I've got my graphic, the 14 mega corporations that own your supplement brand on the screen now for all the video watchers. But essentially, there are 14 major companies that own uh, a majority of the supplement brands that we use. And sometimes they even own competing brands. So, you know, I don't use this brand. I use this brand. Well, they're owned by the same mother company. 
And so when it comes to this stuff, our bias is really what's coming through. So we have blind faith in this supplement industry. And this is due to that propaganda, the wellness industrial complex, of, as I've called it a couple times. We have a distrust of mega corporations and big pharma without really knowing that the supplement industry is a part of that gang. And there's so much bias that the frequent atrocities that you know I can see happening, and if I have access to it, everybody has access to it, when those things occur, they're frequently ignored. And that's a problem for me. And quality overall is a massive problem. Um, I have lots of different examples. I brought a bunch up on the podcast before. I've got four that I'm going to actually talk about right now. Um, the first is CBD. We're going to talk about CBD in another episode in the future. Uh, but, you know, there are quality issues galore with that. There was a, a report that said 31% of CBD products were labeled incorrectly. So they had the wrong doses, strengths, ingredients on the label. Um, there was this whole thing with saw palmetto and animal fat. So essentially, <laughs> saw palmetto is a plant, uh, but the same fat profiles are present in like pig and goat fat. And so some companies figured that out and they had an excess of pig and goat fat because what do you do with the fat after you, you know, cut up the animals for food production? Well, you sell it to the supplement industry. And so some people were buying saw palmetto and it was actually animal fats. Now imagine for a second if you were a vegan or a vegetarian or had some sort of religious objection. Ob Objection to eating animals. That would be a major problem. And a lot of people didn't know that this was happening. Wellness influencer Gary Null, he's got his own videos and stuff like that. He's out there in the world, but he almost died and almost killed a bunch of people because of his supplement company. The company that he was using did the math wrong on vitamin D and people overdosed. Um, in New York, there was the attorney general action against a bunch of herbal supplements. This was a big deal back in 2015, right when we were kind of getting into the groove of our supplement game here. And 80% of the herbs that they, uh, you know, they just went to the shelves and grabbed some bottles uh, from like different stores. And 80% of them had no active ingredients in them whatsoever. So that's a small sampling of a very large listing of quality-related issues in the industry. And I'll link all of those articles in the show notes so everybody knows that I'm not just talking smack. These are real things that happen. So this brings me to the, the heart of the lesson, the three types of dietary supplements. So if you walk into any store that, well, preferably a store that sells supplements, don't go into like a toy store. That doesn't make sense for this story. Just stay with me here, people. And what are you going to see? You're going to see a wall of supplements, if not multiple walls of supplements. And they're just like floor to ceiling, wall to wall. It's overwhelming. There's so many options. How do you pick something? Well, in this situation, let's keep with the turmeric example, we want to pick turmeric. And what we find is three different bottles of turmeric, and they are from different companies, so they look a little bit different. How do I know which one is which? Which one is the good one? Is there a bad one? Are they all good? You know, are they different in any way? And it's, you know, really, really hard for us as consumers to look at that and be able to differentiate uh, quite quickly. So here's what I see when I look at those three bottles in a supplement store. I don't see... Turmeric. I see meat. I see a fast food cheeseburger. And then I see a moldy fast food cheeseburger. And that tells you something because it takes a lot to make one of those gross things moldy, right? But then I see the steak and that's what we're here for. And again, sorry, vegans, I got nothing better when it comes to this analogy. This one works for me. And if you got something better, write in, please tell me I'll change in a, in a heartbeat if I can find something as good. <laughs> so we think that we're buying this fresh high grade steak, the one that we want, and we're willing to pay for it because you know why? 
Our health is at stake. <laughs> All right, moving on. So the reality is that we're convinced of this, but we're actually that we're buying this high quality thing. But, you know, because we've done our research and all of that. But in fact, we're getting a fast food cheeseburger. It gets the job done. Sure. But it may not be the best for us long term. And that kind of hits on two different angles. Right. So a fast food cheeseburger, you know, it gets the job done, but it's not really producing the results that we want. That's the first one. And then the second is that by exposing ourselves to this mediocre product, this fast food quality level thing, it's actually going to contribute to our problems long term instead of helping us fix them. And sometimes, which happens far too often, that should be acceptable. The thing that we're buying isn't the steak and it isn't even the fast food cheeseburger. It's actually a moldy fast food cheeseburger. It's a product that has danger uh, in it, on it, around it. It has either illegal ingredients or contaminants or something in there that not won't give us the results that we want. It, that won't even come close to happening. It's going to hurt us. Uh, taking it on the long term is going to directly contribute to our poor health. So which one are we buying? When I pick the make my choice to buy that supplement, am I getting the steak? Am I getting the cheeseburger? Or God forbid, am I getting that moldy cheeseburger, right? And how would we even know? But the bigger question that I'll pose to y'all is that how would we even know that this was a problem if you hadn't heard this on this podcast? How could we as consumers possibly judge between them and know for certain that we've made the right choice? And finally, the big one, why the hell is this even allowed to happen? We have to understand that not all products are created equally. That's a very important lesson. In fact, we should know that this not only happens, but it happens quite often. So like, if we had to think about it, how often does this happen? How often am I getting the fast food cheeseburger versus the moldy cheeseburger? What's the distribution of quality? How likely am I to get a steak ever, right? And so I am sure that everybody's familiar with a distribution curve, which is the bell curve, right? And so you have small on one side, large on the other, and in the middle, there's a peak, right? And then you got the two little standard deviation lines up and down, right? So on the left side should be the the, the poorer performing things, and on the right side should be the exceptionally uh, performing things, uh, very typical, right? Well, Supplements are very much like this, but not evenly distributed. And I would say about 10 to 15 years ago, almost a majority of it would be found in the poorer quality range and very, very little would be found in that upper uh, quality range. Um, so right now we're kind of shifted to the left and we're broken into three categories. So in the middle is our fast food cheeseburger, what I call the mediocre middlers. These guys are the supplements that are like the equivalent of the fast food cheeseburger. They're all right, but they're really not going to be what you think you're buying. On the right, best in class badasses. These are the ones that are the, the, the steak, the things that we're trying to get. And on the left is the dumpster fire grade supplements. Very, uh, uh, technical terms that I'm using. And that's the nice part. When you make methodologies like I do, you can just make up words. And, you know, I, I have nobody that, uh, you know, pays my bill. So I can say curse words sometimes. It's great. <laughs> I know what you're asking yourself. Why is this such a freaking mess, right? It's weak regulations and poor enforcement. So like I was saying, back in 1994, there was the Deshay Act, which introduced this concept of good manufacturing practices, GMP. And that regulates the manufacture of supplements to make sure that each product is pure, potent, and consistent. 
Very important. But full compliance with that law just happened in 2007. So you could like kind of skate around compliance up until about, you know, 15 years ago. The compliance with this law is voluntary. And that's the crazy part. And that's the part that Mark and I are going to talk about. And we've talked about on the podcast before. The FDA is only going to act when you deliberately or dramatically pose a danger to the public. And otherwise, they're not coming to your house. They're not inspecting you. You know, they're not coming. And they don't check each and every formula or product just to make sure that they're going to be safe or effective before they hit the streets. Uh, there's no mandatory recall process if your product stinks. It's all voluntary. So it, you could literally make something that hurts somebody. You can make a moldy cheeseburger, throw it in a, in a pill, and put it on the market. And until you hurt a lot of people, you're not even going to get the attention of the FDA. And when you do... It's not mandatory that you recall it. <laughs> Most of the actions that the FDA uh, kind of does amounts to just a slap on the wrist. Pretty scary. So there are companies that exist and are selling products right now that just won't shut down. The FDA sent them letter after letter and they're not doing anything. It's crazy. But more importantly to, than all of that is that when we talk about supplement quality, we have a limited definition of what quality is, right? So this regulatory definition that's been introduced by the Deshay Act here, it says that a high-quality product meets labeled claims. That's it. So what does that mean? That means that your product has to be what you say it is, and it has to contain what you say it does, and nothing else. But that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't even have to work. It doesn't even have to get absorbed into your bloodstream. And that, my friends, is the craziest part, that you can be sold a product that literally just passes through into your stool or urine. So here's the final thing that you should know as we introduce this concept of supplement quality. No one solved the problem yet. Some people have tried, uh, but there is no universal rubber stamp for a good quality product. Because I know my reaction when you start to hear stuff like this is like, oh my God, what do I do? And there's no answer. There's no good answer, I guess. Um, so how do we know that something's good, right? Wh what do we do as consumers? Well, there's groups that are certainly trying to help, um, like USP Verified is a new program, NSF Certified is another. There are third-party groups like Consumer Reports or Labdoor. Uh, Consumer Lab is another one. There are trade organizations like the International Probiotic Association or the International Fish Oil Standards Company. But the thing is, is that it's all fragmented and it's all flawed. But we can use these tools to help us piece it all together. But we got to know that it's not a final answer. There's no unified singular stamp of approval for supplement quality. But don't quit yet. <laughs> the point is to flip our understanding upside down. We want to make you aware and tell you to beware. I have a solution for sure. I got an answer, some sort of an answer. But first, let's talk a little bit more about quality with someone whose professional life and almost you could say personal life is supplement quality and compliance. Mark S. Ullman is of counsel at Rivkin Radler LLP. Mark represents clients in matters relating to all aspects of Food and Drug Administration regulatory issues with a focus on the dietary supplement and natural products industry. He speaks frequently as an expert to supplement industry trade groups and is a frequent contributor to industry publications. He's the guy. 
and live and direct from his kitchen using what I think is uh, two cans and a string for communication is my buddy Mark Ullman. Mark, thank you for joining me from the kitchen this morning. Did you have your lucky charms? Um, I actually had um, uh, Reese's peanut butter. Uh, cereal. That's great. Uh, that's my kind of <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> I've done just three episodes on nutrition, and at the end of it, I'm like, I just eat M&M, well, so it's fine. You can do that, too. <laughs> I needed my sugar fix to have the energy to speak with you this morning. Oh, totally. A lot of people say that. They need <laughs> some uppers to talk to me. So, <laughs> you know, we're just getting out of COVID, and one of the things I was thinking, and the, one of the funniest part is, like, kind of what you were doing during COVID, because, like, nothing was going on, right? And what does a supplement lawyer do <laughs> during COVID? Well, you, you still have um, uh, new products coming out. You still need yeah. a, a variety of uh, compliance uh, check boxes and you, you still have uh, regular business issues. Somebody stealing yeah. my science, somebody using my trademark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like there was really no enforcement going on, right? FDA was like, we're going to take it off for two years, right? FDA for a couple of years was myopically focused on COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, and, then, and then for safety health reasons, they pulled their investigators out of the field. Right. So there was, you know, and we, there were warning letters, but I'd, I'd say 95% of them were addressed at, um, uh, to illegal COVID claims. One of the things that we were talking about before we get into the questions that I want for to ask you, we said on the podcast before, um, you know, I had a co-host and he never dealt with supplement quality at all. He had no idea. So he's just a consumer. He's just walking into this. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, all you're going to get is a letter, right? Like you, you might have to spend a bunch of money for an inspection, right? And there's a financial, uh, you know, worry there. But a lot of the times there's not much that happens to companies that do wrong things, right? If you have a, if you're a supplement manufacturer and you have quality issues, um, to get more than a letter from FDA, it's kind of, you know, it's got a nice official title and it comes on FDA letterhead. Um, and, 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 and in big bold letters at the top, it, it says warning letter. Um, <laughs> but to get to the point where FDA tells you to, does more than tell you fix your problems uh, or else you really have to push the agency. It has to be offensive. And that's what I did notice that the COVID thing seemed to be a very firm red line. They like Mercola uh, is basically not public anymore. He's just talking to his own people because of the craziness he was spouting. And, you know, you know and it does, uh, it does make a, a, a difference. I know your listeners are primarily consumers. You do have some practitioners. Yeah. Um, it is important um, for both those parties to understand that there's a difference between one-on-one uh, -on -one consultation and advertising products uh, for, the, for general consumption. Um, right. FDA doesn't get involved in a, between a, a licensed healthcare practitioner and a patient, FDA really doesn't get involved in that conversation. What people are seeking are the answers, and they're seeking answers from people that speak authoritatively about that. So they go to the websites and they say, you know, 
help me solve solve this problem. But the prop, you know, the, the next step and what we try to help people, you have to be an informed consumer. You have to know that general advice that may not apply to you. There's lots of things to consider drug interactions. And the big thing today's topic supplement quality. And so, you know, when we talk about the the quality stuff, you know, it, it tends to be a marketing buzzword, which I hate, but like, you know, you're in the trenches. So, so make a case here for, for being concerned at a consumer level. What ends up happening to a supplement that I could get? What could I get that would be bad? There, there, you know? there are a variety like, of, of, of things consumers need to be wary of, and they should research the companies that they're 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 buying from. Yeah, and it runs the gamut from weight loss products spiked with subutramine. Yeah, you know they they work. <laughs> um, yeah, they work really well. <laughs> subutramine is off of the market. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. available available um, mm-hmm. because there are serious health risks. Yeah, people. Why do people keep buying it? Yeah. You know, the company's making claims, you know, lose weight overnight. Yeah, well, take if you're, you know, if you're dead, you're going to lose weight qu- quickly, too. And <laughs> Decomposing. I only, uh, you know, we laugh, we kind of laugh, but it happens. You know, so the big thing that you see then is like the pharmaceutical uh, adulteration. That That's the, I, I see that that's the most serious risk. You have to really cross some real bad red lines in order for the FDA to like shut you down. Right. So it's normally that, like you, you know, here's a warning. You got to fix your stuff, and that's pretty as much as far as it goes. And and the problem isn't with the law. I think the problem, you know, the law uh, um, says if you do this, you are in violation. If you don't make uh, uh, products in a way that they contain only what the label can, says they contain. And they're manufactured to be free of pathogens. Um, every ingredient is declared. You let the public know about allergens. You have very tight manufacturing controls. Your machines are, you know, if you're uh, if you're a contract, if you're a manufacturer, you're cleaning your machines when you're supposed to. You're handling products in a way uh, uh, um, that minimizes the chance of uh, confusion in ingredients. Uh, everything uh, is made according to weight. Um, and if you don't do that as a manufacturer, the law says you're committing an te- FDA's discretion a crime. You're violating the law. Wow. It's a lack of will at FDA the, the, to take the supplement trade seriously and this isn't anything new and so you think it's it's political will is it financial is it is it it, because it's a hot button issue uh and you know like consumers rise up and like go anti-government when anybody tries to put more enforcement or rules around supplements so you know is it all three of those things it's a lack of will to do the work and enforce the law um because fda doesn't think supplements are important. Right. Despite what the public thinks, FDA is all about pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Companies are allowed to go on for years um, with the FDA knowing they're violating the law before they get anything other than uh, um, that letter. Right. And so to circle back, the, the consumer then is potentially getting exposed to pharmaceutical adulterants, you know, contaminants, heavy metals, right. pest, you know, pesticides, all the horrible, horrible, harmful stuff. 
or, you know, even at best, it's just something that says it does something and it doesn't, right? It's just inert. I guess here's a here's a question for you from a consumer standpoint. Um, sh- are things getting better or worse in, generally in, in the supplement world? I'd say, fortunately, it's stable. I don't think there's been a big change from baseline. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, that's scary too. It is. So it, is. The, it is. It is concerning. Um, yeah, and and obviously the scofflaws who just don't care. I don't, I don't talk to them. You know, they don't come to yeah. me. They don't ask for advice. Um, but I have had situations uh, where I've discussed risk with clients. Yep. And. The answer I get at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but it has happened, is what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me? I'm going that's to get a letter. scary. <laughs> right? Where, where companies are like, is it worth being the good guy? Because even if we can cut corners, then we're not going to really get in trouble. No, it's a, it's, a terrible, it's a terrible situation to put um, responsible uh, ethical companies in, yeah. Because the you know I, I have an there's an ingredient. You know, let's take a popular ingredient, astaxanthin. Yes, um, mm-hmm. it was a new ingredient when it was introduced. It hadn't been in the food supply. Um, Fuji Chemical Industries in Japan identified uh, the potential health benefits. They figured out how to cultivate it. Uh, it it's from um, uh, an algae. Uh, then they did the science to demonstrate the health benefits. And there's a big investment in that. And that product that from, from that company and the other companies that subsequently, subsequently did that work, there's going to be a cost involved. Now someone else comes in and knocks off the ingredient. They call it astaxanthin. They have some kind of crazy... Um, manufacturing process. Um, yeah. You know, we identified a knockoff company that was using science uh, cited by or done by Fuji on their product, um, published by Fuji scientists. And you know, when we tested the product, we found residual formaldehyde. Well, it's also <laughs> the but the, the thing, we're taking this to be healthier. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and, and, and there's an attraction toward a least less expensive product. Uh, but sometimes the reason, not always, but sometimes the reason it's less expensive is that the work hasn't been done on the in- ingredients. The ingredients haven't been uh, um, investigated. Yesterday in my chat window, one of my customers was saying, hey, there's magnesium stearate in this product. Why do you have that? I heard it's bad. And like we can get into whether or not that's really true or really something that's relevant where we're separating the quality, actual quality from like the marketing buzzword stuff. Right. right? Um, But like what I said was, would you be willing to pay the premium to replace that? to change the complete manufacturing process to use a different flow agent because those are much more expensive. And so would you buy a product that I invest more time and energy in 
Or would you say, well, at the end of the day, I just want, you know, I don't want to spend the extra 10 bucks a month. And that's a big question for manufacturers. Why would we assume that risk right. to sell less? That's right. You know, you know and as the manufacturer or, or more, uh, you know, step back, that, a step uh, towards the consumer on the food chain, the, the marketer, the company whose uh, name is on the product label. Right. What price point can I push my product to to ensure quality and still get the consumer to make that purchase? I make I make that decision all day long to make the best form of fish oil. It costs money to make a good protein powder that's processed properly to not destroy it and then have all the good stuff in it. It costs money and people don't want to spend that kind of money, especially when you get those big tubs. It's difficult. I mean, I one of my clients, uh, I think, is the best contract manufacturer. A contract manufacturer is somebody who produces products for other brands, mm-hmm. you know, their cost to manufacture product is exponentially higher than most of their competition. Yeah. Sadly, supplements have a reputation as the snake oil trade. Yeah. There are a group of people, uh, of consumers who are looking to address health problems. And some of them are very sad problems and very desperate people. And that, attracts a, a certain um, caliber of uh, charlatan. Yeah, for sure. FDA doesn't have the will um, to devote the time and the energy and the resources to doing real enforcement. Um, you know, it's kind of a welcoming atmosphere to these people, to these charlatans, right. that no legitimate member of the trade uh, uh, welcomes. So speaking of which, I want to talk about what I consider to be one of the most significant actions and like kind of events around supplement quality that's happened in the you know recent future. Um, there was a supplement manufacturer or like, I guess, front for a manufacturer, uh, ABH Naturals, if you recall. Right. Uh, they... <laughs> they screwed up big time and like it was clearly intentional and you know it was this massive recall and massive it, it's not right to use the word massive it was 800 brands that were affiliated with this manufacturer on and all of its shell companies that were affected and the recall went back years because of all of the horrible things that this company was doing Neil, i don't know if i'd say they, they were doing horrible things but they weren't doing things the right way. They weren't following all of the rules. They were cutting corners. They weren't complying with GMPs. Um, yeah, I, 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 it wasn't one of these situations where they were spiking uh, um, men's sexual health products with um, Viagra. Which is awesome. <laughs> That's a nice thing to do. <laughs> they, uh, you know, like I said uh, before, Either you'll be in a situation where you're saying, well, this pill, the supplement, you know, it's been four hours. Maybe I need to go to the ER. Um, <laughs> or maybe it'll interact with um, the warfarin I'm taking, and I'll be going to the ER for that reason. Right. You know, but they weren't complying with the manufacturing regulations. And, you know, this is a perfect example of, of why mainstream industry, mainstream supplement industry, complains that they want FDA 
to actually enforce the law. Uh, FDA was aware, I think it was eight years of interaction with this company on their GMP failures. Wow. Um, from failed inspections uh, to follow-up letters to ineffective uh, corrective actions to a gap of three years when nothing came back from the agency. Finally, this warning letter followed by FDA uh, seeking uh, uh, relief in the courts. It's unreal. Everyone got hurt here. Yeah. The consumer got hurt. Um, the brand got hurt. And it's a black eye for everyone in the industry. For sure. And is it, so I guess the reason I bring it up is to show the scale and the scope of something, but it's not rare. That's the part that I kind of want to, you know, like really communicate. If this was extreme, uh, but it's not an isolated incident. A brand, uh, you know, your supplement company, nine times out of 10, isn't uh, a manufacturer. They are just a brand. They have a, a an office. Correct. They they go to a contract manufacturer. Right. Probably via Google. I mean, to be quite honest with you, like I need a supplement manufacturer in Long Island, you know, well, and, and, <laughs> you know, some of these companies go that low, you know, and yeah, there, I are mean, things I, suppo- there are things you're supposed to be doing if you're using a contract manufacturer. But they don't know to do that. It's again, it's yeah, like wellness correct. influencer A or or you know, I hear pharmacists all the time say, I want to make my own supplement. And like they would literally go through they would go to the company and say, Hey, I want a fish oil. Can you make it for me? And they would be happy with the outcome, thinking that that's how it works, not understanding all of the things that you're supposed to do. You're correct. supposed to do an FDA level inspection of the manufacturer before you use them. And that cost is astronomical, but nobody's going to spend that money. You don't really have to. It's okay, you know? To get into the business, come up with a formula, um, have the information to understand uh, um, that there are benefits it could be providing to consumers. Uh, If you're a pharmacist, you can say, wow, these two products, they look really interesting. I've got enough Mm -hmm. knowledge that uh, it's worth investigating whether I could combine these two ingredients so that my customers can only buy one. And since I came up with this idea, I want my face on the label. Yeah. Uh, And there are low barriers of entry to getting started at that level with the government. Um, You know, you don't have to have um, uh, FDA or even the state come in and say, oh, you're starting a supplement company. We need to inspect you. We need to see where you're having the product store. So we need to inspect the people who are making the product for you. What the heck could a consumer possibly do to really understand if the product they're interacting with is going to be the a good choice? I ask questions. Lots of questions. And, and, and then you know, see, you see what the answer what the what the answer what the answer is. What, what do you get back? Do you get back a blank stare? <laughs> I mean, there's some. Ch- if there, you know, there are chains that you can go into and you can ask this, um, you know, forget, forget a clerk, you can ask a manager. And if you get a blank stare back, um, and you got to say, well, maybe I want to see if there's someplace else for me to buy my supplements where there may be some vetting right. going on. So what about Amazon, right? So Amazon has this marketplace to get access to stuff, fast delivery. There's trusted brands. We're, as a consumer, and with all these things that we've brought up, 
How, how should I be feeling about that? Look, Amazon's a mixed bag. Um, they have greatly um, uh, enhanced their enforcement. They, you know, they're the, where they place the bar for you to get supplements and any kind of health-related product into their stores, uh, into, into their website, or to open your store, your online store on their website. But it's a gigantic marketplace. Um, and in a lot of cases, I find them to be reactive. Uh, but I trust something I bought off of Amazon a lot more than I would trust something I went into a, a uh, uh, any of the dollar stores. Right? Yeah. But I, now Amazon has, uh, Amazon has stepped up their barriers to getting in getting onto this site. But it's still an issue. It's a concern. People need to be aware of that. Like you can't just. Well, you're not going to get a one-on-one conversation with anybody about what's going on with the product. Do you have any last sentiment that you want consumers to be left with when it comes to supplement quality? I just be curious, ask questions. Don't be credulous. (laughs) Um, Ask why, you know, Especially if you're buying, you know, at the pharmacy level or the mom and pop health food store, which sadly there are fewer and fewer of. Yeah. Um, Say, why why did you pick this brand? What do you know about them? Why do you like them? Why why do you trust them to to come into your store? Even with the best intentions, because of the opaqueness of the industry, it's exceptionally difficult to get a definitive answer. And so to even have a model or system where we're trying is remarkably better than the alternative. The sales rep comes in, uh, and I I know that that this is how product get into a lot of pharmacies. Mm -hmm. Sales rep come in and say, oh, I just added this company to my life. Mm -hmm. And then it's, are you asking the sales rep, what do you know about them? What do you know about the product? Um, Have they done any studies? Uh, what do we have about the quality? Uh, tell me about the company. What do you know about them? Mark, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, like, I, you know, this stuff could be boring, but I think it you kind of uh, jazzed it up for us. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can tell you war stories would make your uh, would make yeah, and I think that's why I have him on is because I know he has them and he's shared them, and so I, I this is you know if you want to ask why I have this dude on, you know there's a really good reason I've done my homework. So yeah, <laughs> I grew up in this industry and um, I do care. Fantastic, thanks again, Mark. All right, Neil, thanks. It was a fun little interview with my buddy Mark. So now here we are. What can I do? We tried to answer it a little bit. You know, the, the answer was ask questions, but I think we can do a little bit better than that. So how do I choose supplements that are truly high quality and not fall for marketing buzzwords and wellness industry misinformation around quality? And well, I'll start out by repeating something. Uh, this isn't easy and it, it's hard to get to the real information. I do this for a living and it's exceptionally challenging. I've been lied to uh, numerous times. Most recently, I just lost 15,000 bucks from a supplement company. They were making a specific type of product for me. They were ranked number three in the world, recommended to me by one of the leading uh, experts in the field. 
as a quality company. And they took my deposit, started making the product. And then when I asked for stuff for legal compliance, they said that we are not going to give it to you. And the only reason that they wouldn't give me the information that I was looking for was that they were not making the product themselves. So they are a manufacturer, but they outsourced the manufacturing to another company and they wanted to keep that information private. And so it's scary. If I am bumping up against this and I know what questions to ask and I have contracts that make people do certain things, how the heck are you going to get that information, right? This entire industry just exists behind a curtain, right? The all-and-powerful Oz behind it, except you know, this one is nearly permanently in place. It is very difficult to get that curtain down. And so the only answer that we have, the, the solution to this problem that we're all kind of talking about here is an industry that has 100% transparency that is then verified by some third party. And then you have a working government agency to make sure that all of the things are working, right? You know, you need surprise visits, as we were saying. You can't just show up announce and be like, hey, clean up your stuff. I'm coming, right? That doesn't make any sense. So until we have that, we need some other mechanism to determine supplement quality. And we have to understand one basic piece. There's always going to be some leap of faith. You know, if you try to be perfect, you're going to go crazy. And so, but what we can do is we can build a system where those leaps of faith are few and far between. Right. And the questions that we ask, like Mark suggested that we should, are consistent and applied consistently to all the different groups. So we need a framework just like we did with diet. I mean, diet is complex and it's constantly changing. And how do we handle the new information and how do we get to the truth? We need a structure. Right. We have to eat to fuel our fire. We have to not play dietary Jenga. Right. Those are the things. So with supplement quality, it's the same thing. And as with us, flipping everything upside down as we do, uh, you know, my t-shirt says that we do that. Um, it starts with redefining. So we have to redefine quality. And as I said, quality is so much more than regulatory compliance, right? When people talk about quality now, they're talking about good manufacturing practice. That's really what they're saying. The GMPs. Does the product meet labeled claims? Which, you know, it's saying that it has what it has and that's it. And as Mark and I pointed out, though, you know, a finished supplement product that you can buy can often be in violation of that super duper low competency bar. And there are moldy cheeseburgers around you and you have no idea if you're getting that dumpster fire grade supplements, the mediocre middlers or those best in class supplements. Supplement quality is so much more than good manufacturing. So there are four things to consider when we're talking about supplement quality. So first, regulatory. Does it meet labeled claims? That should be the lowest bar. That should be minimum competency for any brand you, you talk to, and they have to be able to prove it. So that's an easy one. Let's throw that out. We've already beaten that up. Two, very important to me, therapeutics. Does the supplement that I'm buying work? <laughs> Does it actually do something? Is it the best option for treating the thing or helping with the health concern? Will it get absorbed into my body? Does the science back it up? Three, the ethics. Is this a good, not just for me product, but for the world type product, right? So here's a question for you. Garden of Life is a supplement company, huge, right? Lots of people buy it, one of the biggest in, in, in the country, if not world, and it's owned by Nestle. Are you okay with that? Most probiotic strains come from places like DuPont, 
Is that okay? How are the animals that are used for the manufacturing treated? How does the business behave in the world? What are the ethics surrounding this product? And finally, the dollars, which is very important to a lot of people. Am I paying a fair price? And listen, if you want cheap, the only way that cheap happens in supplements is some choices made. And if you're aware of what choices they were and you're willing to go along with those choices, then fine. But I personally don't want cheap. I want right. And so price has to be commensurate with the quality materials and what it takes to be compliant through the manufacturing, right? What does it actually cost to do the thing right? And as long as that is honest and there's a healthy profit in there, I'm cool, right? I don't want dollar store supplements. So these four things make up what I call the supplement quality standard, science, compliance, virtues, and value, right? And so just like the vital five and the wellness pyramid, I say them in a specific order. The science is the most important thing to me because again, regulatory compliance, very important, but that should be minimum that like, that should just be the the barrier to entry is that I'm going to make the product legally okay. <laughs> but so the science is most important. You know, research and academic discussion is one thing, but your supplement should be scientifically sound and be able to deliver on its promises. And I've said that there's this gap between the idea that omega-3 is good for you and the omega-3 product that you're buying and taking, right? If you're not getting the right dose in a form that your body can use, omega-3 isn't going to be good for you. And that concept is lost to us when it comes to supplements. We don't make that dose science therapeutic connection. We just buy the, the bottle that says turmeric on it, right? It's got to be good. Well, it might be that, uh, you know, fast food cheeseburger that you're getting. So the other thing, I, you know, the other analogy I use a lot is the, the Tylenol as a pharmacist analogy. You come to me and you have a headache. And you say, I want Tylenol. And I give you something that says Neil's Magic Tylenol product, and it has three milligrams of Tylenol in it. You, one, I hope you would never use that brand again. And two, I hope you would never trust me again. And this is the essential to what is going on in the supplement industry, uh, especially when it comes to science. For this component, you should be asking this set of questions. I've heard that this ingredient, let's just say omega-3, I heard omega-3 is good for me, right? What's the science there? what dose do I need to get those results? How long do I need to take it for to get those results? Are there different forms of omega-3 that could matter to me? And how do I know that I'm actually going to utilize what's in that dose? Am I going to absorb it? And is my body going to use it? Those are important questions. And you know, a great example of this is, is there's like a billion people that take magnesium because their doctor told them to, right? They're taking magnesium oxide too. And the doctor's like, Hey, take the magnesium oxide. Cause it's at every pharmacy, you know, and that's fine if they need help pooping, you know, because 95% of that magnesium isn't going anywhere except for the poop tube. And it's just going to go right through. And it's great if you're constipated or if you need to have frequent bowel movements, that type of magnesium is awesome. But if you went to the doctor and you needed magnesium for your blood for some other reason to get into your whole body, magnesium oxide is not the best choice. The science isn't there. And so when it comes to supplements, the science matters. So let's talk about compliance. We've already beaten this one to death here today. The loose guidelines means that anyone can claim manufacturing compliance, whatever, right? So good manufacturing practices 
is minimum. The regulatory stuff is minimum. Your supplement maker should be passionate about quality and committed to raising the bar for these regulations industry-wide. They should be bragging about how good they are with quality, and they should be one of the voices like us screaming from the rooftops that things need to change. And so I'm going to link the FDA letters in the show notes because the question you should be asking is, is this company getting in trouble for stuff. <laughs> so you can go to the FDA site and you can type in the company's name and you'll be surprised at some of the companies that you'll see in there. And you can also then look at customer advocacy groups and consumer labs and consumer reports and all of that stuff. But remember, as I said before, in the first section, it's not a comprehensive picture. It's only telling a part of a story. You can't just lean on those things uh, only. So now let's talk about the virtues of a supplement. Is your supplement ethically and sustainably sourced? Can you, at the end of the day, feel good about using this supplement? So your supplement brand should walk its talk, right? Uh, every supplement brand is claiming that it's green and it's quality and it is good for the world and they have this great mission. Brands of all sizes should demonstrate and not just claim real commitment to doing the right thing for the workers, the environment, and for you. You can't always win, though. Right. So I said before, DuPont, some would argue, is one of those dirty companies. Right. Pfizer made covid vaccines and they're looking now to price those vaccines at three to four times what they charge the government. But those DuPont probiotic strains are pretty awesome. And covid vaccines saved a life or two during the pandemic. Right. And so it brings up a point here for all of the points of the supplement quality standard that needs to be addressed. Right. Perfect is impossible. We have to balance the best of what we have. So the purpose here is to create a structure so that we can be thorough and we can be consistent. And we should strive to make better and better choices. So we need standards and we have to apply those standards and they should change as we get better and better data. So when you're out here and you're listening to all this stuff, just thinking about supplement quality outside of regulatory compliance is going to put you light years ahead of most people, and it puts you closer towards optimizing your wellness experience and your dollar. So we can't be perfect, but we can try. So speaking of dollar, let's talk about value. When it comes to supplements, high price tags rarely mean better supplements. So your supplement needs to balance a high standard of quality, results, and a fair, equitable price. It's quite simple. Prices should be reflective of what you're getting, but it's not in this industry at all. And on the other side, as Mark and I were saying, you may want the best quality, but you're not really willing to pay it. And that's an important thing to understand. That's a dynamic here that's setting the pricing around supplements. There's a race to the bottom to get you to buy stuff because people know cheap supplements sell. And so again, to make cheap, you have to make a choice. So it's that balance. That's what we're trying to say. When it comes to price, you know, besides the pricing going crazy everywhere with this inflationary stuff, you know, I think that the, you know, supplement value is the easiest yardstick for comparing products. It's how you actually compare apples and apples. And in fact, when people come to me and talk to me about CBD, one of the first things I'll say is that you can get great CBD for less than 10 cents per milligram. So if you're looking at a bottle and it says 750 milligrams, 750 times 10 cents is $75. If your CBD costs more than 75 bucks, you're getting 
overcharged because you can get a great one for less than $75. Now, if it costs $20 for 750 milligrams, you can assume there's something wrong because it costs something to deliver that product to the market. And 750 milligrams costs some sort of money, and it's probably more than $20 when it's all said and done. A great example is pomegranate supplements. Have you ever bought a pomegranate? They're expensive, right? And have you ever tried to juice a pomegranate? It's like a full day's activity, unless you watch that YouTube video where they show you how to open them up real quickly. Well, pomegranates are rare, they're expensive, and they're difficult to like manipulate and juice. So how could your pomegranate supplement possibly be $7, right? It, it would cost more than $7 in raw material to deliver what they're saying that they're delivering, right? So when you use the full supplement quality standard and then look at pricing, you're getting a good sense of where you should spend your money. There's dudes that go to the, the freaking muscle heads shop online and they buy the barrel size of uh, their protein powder and that's fine. And, you know, if it costs you 20 bucks, I'm happy for you. But, you know, how much protein you're actually getting per scoop and and what else is in there, right? It's being made in like an opioid den in Afghanistan. And again, nothing against Afghanistan. It's just a little bit out of the reach of the FDA, right? And so on the other side, you have the, the hoity-toity green mom protein shake and it's $80 for like a thimble, you know? $20 for a barrel, $80 for a thimble. There's a, a disconnect here, right? There's nothing in a protein supplement that demands 80 bucks for a thimble right? And it's still probably made in that opioid den. There's a disconnect between the price and quality. And we have to understand the thing that we're buying before we can really make that judgment about cheap or not cheap. The supplement industry is the wild west when it comes to regulating quality. And with the bar set so low, a product that makes the grade won't always make a difference for your health. It can even do more harm than good. So it's time to evaluate quality beyond manufacturing. We need a model that considers everything that really matters in a supplement. How it works, how it's sourced, how it's made, and how it's priced. And that's what I'm trying to do with the supplement quality standard. That's what I'm trying to bring with Woodstock Vitamins and my practice here in Woodstock, New York. And that's what I preach to all those healthcare professionals that listen to me. And that's what I'm going to bring to the table when I'm developing products for other companies. We need a better system, a better model to make up for the mess that is the supplement industry. So the underlying theme to all of this is bias, as I said earlier, right? A company or an individual, even me, right, probably has an ax to grind. I sell supplements, right? We have bias as consumers. We want the natural products industry to be everything that the pharmaceutical industry isn't. Companies have a bias as profit generators. The only way for us to go forward as individuals is to be more engaged. It's easy to hear all of this stuff that I've said and reject it outright. To put your head in the sand, as I said before, and just keep with the status quo. You don't really care you can avoid supplements at all costs because this just seems overwhelming, but just like with diet or exercise or stretching or sleep or mental well-being or any of the other wellness practices that we've talked about, all of those components of true holistic care, we have to face the truth 
We have to redefine and then relearn and then march forward. Remember, doing the work that matters. So the supplement quality standard is that model. It will help you. We need these better tools. We need systems. We need a framework for evaluating supplements that you can do consistently, that you can even use on me. And I came into this game. You should know this, as most people do. This was a way for me to make a few extra bucks as a pharmacist. I owned a pharmacy. I wanted to make a couple extra bucks to make up for my eroding margins. And so I said supplements. And then I was like, whoa, this is messed up. And I have worked ever since to advocate for a better way. But I still sell supplements, right? I developed the supplement quality standard to simplify and structure the work that I needed to do to ensure that my customers were getting quality stuff and I wasn't BSing them, right? This is a comprehensive way for me to do that. And it can't be perfect, but I can get pretty darn close and we can get more rigorous as we go and we learn more. So I don't see this as something to shut down over. I think that this is an opportunity for us to get more engaged and to advocate along with me for those higher standards, to advocate for a better industry. So join me, email me at podcast at We can help you get started evaluating your regimen, getting strategic with your supplements and finding stuff that's actually proven to be high quality. Stuff that's not just good enough, stuff that's great for you, your wallet and the world. And that does it for this week's episode. Take a few minutes. Give us that five-star review. Share the podcast with your friends. Visit wellnessupsidedown.com for all things podcast. And remember, being our healthiest starts with being honest about ourselves and the health and wellness industries. Then blazing a new path, marching forward one step at a time. I'm Dr. Neil Smoller, and I got your back. Thanks for joining me. 